G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. We're going to be talking some more today about religious freedom in Australia and around the world. Of course, it's a looming challenge for Christians in Australia this year. Hopes and prayers, of course, for something significant to come from the Radic Freedom Review that might recommend some protections for the fundamental freedoms that we have become accustomed to, things like freedom of conscience, freedom of speech and freedom of religion. But today we're going to take the conversation about freedom to a whole new depth. Religious freedom is being trampled on even as we speak right now by governments all over the world. So how are they doing that? We're going to talk about that today. It is happening today, and it has happened historically, and there are things that will happen that are technologically driven too that you might not have ever even considered about how your freedoms are under threat. In China, Christians are preparing for a return to hardline communist Maoism under President Xi in a suffocating crackdown on Christianity. Now, why aren't you hearing this in the mainstream news? You might ask that question. We'll also talk about Islamization taking hold in the nation of Nigeria, where tensions are soaring and there are reports of Christians being brutalized and tortured. Well, always a pleasure to welcome back to 2020 Elizabeth Kendall, who's our guest today over this next hour, a religious liberty analyst and advocate. She is an adjunct research fellow at the Arthur Jeffrey Centre for the Study of Islam at the Melbourne School of Theology. She also serves as the director of advocacy at the Christian Faith and Freedom in Canberra. So a special welcome back to 2020 to you, Elizabeth Kendall. Thanks for having me, Neil. Elizabeth, I hope you had a nice time relaxing through Christmas and New Year because it is a huge year ahead. Did you did you get a bit of time to refresh? I did, actually. It was lovely. I took time to attend the Belgrave Heights Summer Convention um, after, after Christmas over the, the New Year period. It was just absolutely incredible. So it was wonderful uh, biblical teaching. Um, Murray Cable from the Reformed Theological College was teaching, and I, fa- and, and I found that especially helpful. It was a really, really wonderful time, and that sort of feeding uh, is is just great to refocus and, and give you like a breath of fresh air to start the year, to be honest. Yeah. Now, a heavy conversation ahead, but you're bringing out something very important. When you get to a convention or a conference or a camp or whatever it might be, these times are very refreshing because they tend to set your whole thinking and your heart into a right alignment when things get easily taken off course. Uh, when you talk about a refreshing, refreshing and uh, having a, an appreciation, a deep new freshness and understanding of the things of God, this is a refreshing thing, isn't it? Oh, very much because, you know, the fact is uh, whether you're in Christian ministry 
or whether you are a lay person who has a workplace, you, you get quite drained by the end of the year or at any point. You can be really emotionally and spiritually drained. And uh, even if you're continuing your, your daily readings and your prayer life and your devotional life is good, you know, the stresses and burdens of the world, uh, they add up. And so every opportunity that we get, that we have, I think, to get some really good, solid Bible teaching, uh, you know, even beyond our, our regular Sundays, uh, is just a great thing to grab. So uh, I, I live quite close to the Belgrave Heights Convention Centre, so that's a that's a must for me. That one. Do they have that convention every year? They have it uh, Christmas and Easter, okay. so, and it's excellent. It's it's an offshoot of the Keswick Convention uh, from England, and its focus is expository Bible teaching. So it's just a wonderful uh, opportunity to just sit and uh, and be fed and to worship with a, a large body of believers. It's just wonderful. Well, Elizabeth, being refreshed is something that is so necessary now and facing some of the things that we are going to face here in Australia through the coming year. And what's going on around the world is just mind-boggling because there is a deterioration in freedoms happening all around the world in so many contexts. I wonder whether you've got a, a moment to be able to share, in a nutshell, perhaps some of those nations around the world that are under incredible pressure right now. Because when we talk about persecuted Christian believers, pressure on those who put their faith in Christ, uh, these sorts of pressures are coming on in so many different contexts. Uh, give us, an, in a nutshell, sort of an update on the sorts of countries you've been looking at of recent times. Uh, the most recent ones I've been looking at have been, um, uh, in terms of religious freedom being in decline, uh, China, uh, Vietnam, um, Nigeria as well is, uh, is having serious threat. Eastern regions of Uganda, I need to write on that again. Uh, parts of Central Asia. There are massive tracts of the world where religious freedom is seriously in decline. And, you know, we really have to think about this because the fact of the matter is that um, that when the West held religious freedom as something really supremely important, the West advocated for religious freedom, and it did. It did for quite some time, to quite some effect. In fact, it was a, it was a sort of like a coalition of Western countries, America and Europe, essentially, that uh, put pressure on Japan to bring religious freedom to Japan, you know, a, a, you know, a couple of centuries ago, and to change to change the situation in Japan. And it, it does work, but we live in an age now where Western countries uh, worship money, <laughs> Western governments worship money, and they chase the money, and religious freedom is no longer a priority. They say it is. But really, when, it's, when, when governments these days have to make a decision between, do we, uh, you know, between Christian believers and economic interests, the economic interests win all the time. And so countries like China, for example, and, uh, and other countries that I've mentioned, they're beginning to really feel, and Iran, they're beginning to really feel that they have a lot of leeway to persecute Christians with impunity. There will be no pressure put on them. There'll be no sanctions. There'll be no consequences because basically no one cares. Mm. <laughs> so that's the situation we're in. And just as impunity makes all the difference at the local level, it makes all the difference at the international level too.
Well, with our own freedom issues in Australia, as you say, where Christians are being seen as a second-class importance and freedom issues, you're using the word no-one cares, so governments can act with impunity. But let's talk about just how serious it is to be... Uh, one who has these things as a priority now, because here we are on the verge of uh, losing our freedoms. Some will say we've already lost them with some things that have happened last year. But losing these freedoms, a freedom review before Philip Ruddock right now, he's going to make recommendations, a big process then to see if there can be some overriding religious freedom legislation that can be introduced, as difficult as that may be. But let's talk about what is the direction for the future. And I know that China is something that is similar to a direction in which many nations will be heading as they lose religious freedoms. Let's talk about China because really today is a significant day in China, as was yesterday. Let's talk about religious freedoms in China. There are some major, major developments there. I was mentioning the idea of suffocating Christianity in China. What is happening in China, Elizabeth Kendall? Well, China is probably the, the role model for totalitarian rule. So what we've got in China is the President Xi Jinping... Uh, who's often being likened to just a, a modern-day version of Chairman Mao. Uh, he uh, is, is really looking to consolidate the Chinese Communist Party's power uh, into the future and his own position as president into the future. At the last conference, Communist Party conference, he, national conference, he did not designate a successor, even though he's supposed to be... Uh, in his last term and that was a break with tradition and most observers believe he intends to be uh, like the emperor of China for life. He's now also often mocked as the chairman of everything because he has total control over everything. So what he's doing in China at the moment is bringing religion under control as well. So it's not even just Christians, it's it's, uh, all religion. So there's immense pressure has come upon uh, the Muslims of Xinjiang. Now we might say, oh, well, we can understand some of that. There are plenty of Uyghur terrorists operating in the world. We know that there's issues there. But of course, the sort of persecution is uh, like the word you use, suffocating. It goes right down to the ground. Uh, Buddhists are under incredible pressure. The government has just um, really ramped up the, pre- the persecution of large Tibetan Buddhist uh, facilities. So it's not just Christians. It's all religion, and in fact, it's all of society. And um, it is absolutely suffocating. Uh, there's going to be very little freedom at all. Uh, everyone is going to be uh, required to toe the line of the Communist Party. It's really 1984... Uh, a 1984 George Orwell type scenario and that's that's the sort of persecution that I believe that that uh, much of the West could head towards a freedom that is sort of like an illusion so they say you have religious freedom but you will be breaking the law if you gather together. You'll be breaking to law, the law if you speak against the Communist Party. You'll be breaking the law if you just about sneeze. So 
no matter what you do, you're in trouble with the law, even though the Constitution says you have full religious freedom. So we're going to find those sorts of things making life more and more uncomfortable, and especially as society in general holds less and less interest in the subject of religious freedom. Elizabeth, some people will be thinking, well, Australia is a secular state, uh, and you're talking about China, a communist state, a totalitarian communist state. What is the connection between a secular state and a communist state? Are they, in fact, even just steps away? Yeah, I think they might be just steps away, actually. Um, the, the thing is that traditionally secularism has just meant that you have, a, you have an, open, an open platform, an open marketplace for ideas, and everyone can bring their ideas in because the government does not... Um, does not enforce one particular view. So you haven't got, say, the Catholic Church uh, ruling uh, as a government and saying and, and defining you know, what can be said and what can be done or, the, or, or an Islamic regime or, or anything. Uh, it's open. The government takes no sides and everyone can talk. But it's changing. It's like so many words... Uh, they change, they evolve, and we're looking at a situation now where secularism has, is, becoming, is coming to mean anti-religion, that religion uh, can't raise its head, religion has no right to speak, uh, in public that is. And so the very definition of religious freedom is changing, because religious freedom in the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, which was penned in 1948, says that not only do you have the right to believe that is in your heart and in your mind, but that you also have the right to meet together, uh, to, so freedom of association. You have the right to share your beliefs. You have the right to change your beliefs. All this is included in the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. But increasingly, the modern view of secularism, that religion has no place in the public square, means that um, basically you no longer have any right to open your mouth. Uh, um, the public square must be religion-free, and that's making the situation very difficult. So what, what religious freedom is beginning to mean is freedom to believe in your heart and in your mind, but not a freedom to open your mouth in public. And this is a, this is a change that's happening now, and if Australia decides it's going to go down that path then yes, this is a very slippery slope indeed. And so therefore, the comparison with China is not such a wide comparison at all. It's actually a very close comparison with where we may be headed. Now, so far as China goes, yesterday, the 1st of February, a whole lot of new religious affairs regulations came into force. This is yesterday. This is not uh, historically years. This is yesterday. Mm. These new regulations came into force. What is that going to mean for those religious groups in China? Well, what this does is it actually gives legal weight to something that's been happening really ever since President Xi came into power. So it's going to uh, legitimize the complete crackdown and persecution of the Chinese church and of Chinese and of Buddhism and Islam and everything in China, all religion in China. So Article 2 states that, China, that citizens have freedom of religious belief. 
Now, of course, religious belief is something you hold in your heart and your head. So, the, but but then what the what the regulations do is they regulate what the government deems normal religious activity. And, of course, it's the government, the Chinese Communist Party, that deems what is normal and what is extremist. So what might be quite normal for, for you and me could be deemed extremist by the government. Um, so it's got holes in it right from the very, very beginning. And the whole purpose becomes very clear as you start to read through the articles, uh, articles 4 and 5 make it very, very clear that the whole purpose of these regulations is to maintain, uh, really to maintain the status quo, that is, a complete Communist Party control and power in the country. Uh, so there must be total ethnic unity, total religious harmony, total social stability. And anything you do that, that could threaten that basically makes you illegal. So, you know, a, a Christian witness in a Muslim area, um, Christians, are, uh, you know, speaking out against corruption, <laughs> anything, anything that you could do that could threaten the, uh, the, basically the corruption and the rule of the Communist Party uh, will be a grounds for prosecution. And what exactly. looks like the government even says that that upholding the Communist Party line is is one of the responsibilities of all religious groups. So where do you go to from there? And anything that looks like it upsets the idea of a government trying to hold things together, uh, social uh, stability and cohesion and peacefulness. <laughs> uh, anything that challenges that then is going to be clamped down on, and then. What happens then typically with that government that is looking for that social cohesion, uh, all of these other uh, these other crackdown mechanisms come in and before you know it, you have a totalitarian government. Is that the yes. general sort of a picture? Uh, generally, yes. The whole, the, gov the Chinese Communist Party is going to, uh, it will have to approve everything and even once it's approved your religious activity and your religious activity site... Um, it will monitor everything. It will monitor the activity. It will monitor the finances. It will audit everything. Um, it will monitor absolutely everything. In fact, I, I noticed that one of the most repeated lines in the document is um, the church will submit an application and then the authorities will make a decision about pretty well everything, everything. Okay, you'll yeah. be able to believe what you like, but you won't be able to say a single thing. No, you'll be walking a tightrope the whole time. The church is going to find it now has a, you know, hundreds of ways to fall foul of the law and the authorities have hundreds of ways to shut down groups if they don't like them. Uh, even, even I would suggest possibly with false claims. Okay, so for those listeners who are wondering about religious freedom, is this important? I hope that's uh, gone a little way to encouraging you that this is an important issue that's being faced right now here in Australia because there is the Ruddock Freedom Review and it'll make recommendations about religious freedom in Australia. There are some big challenges ahead for 2018. I want to invite you to be part of our conversation today, 1-800-316-316. As our talkback line is open, Elizabeth Kendall is our guest. We are talking through these issues and a little bit uh, talking about international 
freedoms that have been under threat and that are being done away with and where that might put us in context here in Australia. Visions 2020 with Neil Johnson. A biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. We'll be taking calls in just a few moments and an encouragement too if you're on Facebook. Go to the Vision Christian Radio Facebook page and there is a question there you can respond to about how you might frame your ideas about the freedoms that are being lost and what you might say in a submission if you were making a submission to the Freedoms Review that's being undertaken right now. Elizabeth Kendall is our guest. We're talking through the ways that governments around the world control freedoms. A bit of a focus on China right now. Let's talk about some of the nitty-gritty, the practical stuff that we'll all understand very easily, Elizabeth Kendall, the way that this crackdown is happening in China and how it would relate to the the sorts of things that could very easily happen here. How can you give us a little uh, an idea of what's going on? Well, one of the things, that, things that's really impacted the Protestant churches has been uh, building regulations. Um, the, the government has come along and, and uh, found a problem uh, with the building, even if it had been fully approved and uh, done to all the regulations at the time, it's not difficult to come along and say we don't. We now decide it's not fire safe, or, or that there's uh, some sort of regulation, and uh, and insist that it be rectified. And according to these new regulations, if you refuse or resist a rectification, which could be the removal of the whole top floor of the church, then the church will be demolished. And the demolitions have already begun. Most people are aware of the cross-demolition movement that the government started in Zhejiang province, the most Christian province of China, from 2014. Now, this hit both... um, unregistered churches that had crosses um, outside and the registered churches, the government-approved churches. And when the head of Zhejiang's largest government-approved, that is Communist Party-approved church, uh, Pastor Gu, when he complained about the persecution of the, of the churches in Zhejiang, he was arrested and he was charged with fraud. He's, uh, he was re- he's been released, but he was arrested. He was charged with fraud, and he spent time in very terrible situations, and he's been dismissed from his position and replaced with a government appointee. Now, the Catholic Church has gone in a similar direction. Uh, some years back, just a few years back, uh, the Vatican was in talks with the Chinese Communist Party uh, trying to re- improve the relationship And the Communist Party said, you know, we can be friends if the Vatican only recognizes bishops that the Chinese Communist Party appoint. And the Vatican approved that. And uh, the Cardinal Joseph Zen, the now retired um, Archbishop of Hong Kong, he was mortified and he's been trying to convince the Vatican not to go this way. But, and now, just recently, just this week, I think it was, or last week, the Vatican actually forcibly retired a, a Chinese bishop so that he could be replaced with a Communist Party appointee. Well, this is so significant because in the historical context of where we'd see the church under real intense persecution, uh, oftentimes it's where the government 
seeks to control the church. And uh, certainly with the appointment of those church leaders, like you're saying, Chinese Communist Party appointed priests. Uh, Very, very significant. Cross demolitions you mentioned. Uh, Elizabeth, we're going to take some calls quickly before the news. And there's so much more to talk about, including the technological advancements that are going to be impacting on every Christian, uh, not only in China, but uh, also likely in Australia too, Mm. eventually. Let's take some calls. Let's first of all hear from Tori Jane in Talem Bend in South Australia. Hello, Tori Jane. Welcome along. Good morning. How are you? Very well, Tori Jane. What are your thoughts? Oh, look, tears well up as Elizabeth was speaking. Um, I do feel, um, yeah, that we're heading in the wrong direction. We should be uniting. Um, I've been blessed to be listening to your station for only a week now, um, and you've touched me in many ways. so, yeah, look, I'm not sure if I'm the right kind of caller, but for just as a human being out there um, that doesn't have a lot of social um, outlets, um, you know, I, I am now looking at engaging in a, in, a, in a church and, you know, I, I feel that for my experience in my life, I would love nothing more than to share my journey and to have that silence would just be... Um, yeah, it's turning back in, in what humanity should be moving forward. Tori Jane, you are the perfect sort of caller and uh, I really just appreciate the fact that you've taken the, had the courage and uh, taken a few moments to give us a call. But uh, Elizabeth, a few thoughts for Tori? I really loved, uh, especially your last comment there, Tori, that we are turning back from the direction we should be going. And, you know, a lot of people say, oh, we're being progressive. To move beyond religion is to be progressive. But it's actually not. It's actually returning to the pre-Christian era uh, of the early Roman Roman Empire, which was, you know, which was actually really terrible. It was really violent. It was dirty. It was um, promiscuous. It was chaotic. And um, Christianity actually came along and was a civilizing force. And now we're going back. We're going back into that pre-Christian era. That's exactly right. But most people don't seem to understand that. They seem to think that we need to progress beyond religion, but it's not progress. It's actually we are de-civilizing it. And I really believe people need to be alerted to, to the direction that we're taking. Tori Jane from Tail and Bend in South Australia, thank you so much for your call today. Let's take another quick call. Jonathan is in Perth. Hello, Jonathan. Welcome along. Yeah. yeah. You know, Neil Johnson, I you know I was listening to you. You know that the church failed to, to realise that uh, from the birth of the church, we are long beyond our and heart attacks being attacked by the government and being attacked by ourselves. What I mean by that, if you read First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17, you see what Paul asked. Is Christ divided? We divided ourselves from the original stage and still we're fighting among ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so the outside forces get power to penetrate all because of the division within. So if you not forget, the choice will always be targeted by our people. But my concern is why we are divided for is the forces fighting or we should stay in unity we stay divided we fall okay jonathan i'm not sure you could hear everything that jonathan was saying elizabeth but uh, this call for christians to be unified and have a voice to resist this uh, winding back of christian religious freedoms oh i thought that was a wonderful comment and that sort of comment actually really excites me i actually believe that god is doing something in our day 
And this was the subject of what I spoke about recently at a conference and, and to journalists who write on the subject of persecution. I believe that God is actually redeeming all this suffering as he calls us to pray for one another. And I believe that we have entered an, an era that is being enabled by, you know, the technology that we have where we can pray for one another and love one another and really come to be united in the way that Christ intended us to be. Elizabeth, I'm going to have to cut in because we're about to go to news more after Vision National News. Elizabeth Kendall, as we just deepen this conversation a little more... uh, Some of the other things, we mentioned the idea of cross demolitions, even tearing down of churches because they didn't meet building regulations. The idea of the Chinese Communist Party appointing priests, Catholic priests, and having that sort of control over the church. There's a lot of things like that. Some people will still separate this idea from what could happen here in Australia, but let's talk about some of the technological advancements that have been happening that have been making persecution and control by governments easier than ever before. What are your thoughts about the technological advancements? Well, in China, China has become a world leader uh, in control of the Internet, uh, in, and in uh, cyber surveillance and cyber technology. So they are a world leader in facial recognition technology as well. They have developed a system where they, they, they put boards up, and I, I referenced this in one of my prayer boards and, and have, have an image of it. Um, they have a board up at the intersection, and if you jaywalk against the lights your face will come up on the screen along with all your contact details. So they will name you. They will name you in a split second and tell you that you're, you know, you're in trouble for jaywalking and if you do it again, you'll be fined. So it's that quick. This is, this is the most advanced system in the world. And these facial recognition, this facial recognition technology with cameras has been rolled out all across the country during 2017. So it's in place. They're in the churches. They're everywhere. They're, they're using them. To, so they're using them to crack down on crime, right? So they can catch. They, you know, they they caught one guy who was a criminal, like a thief, I think, and they, a facial recognition cameras caught him riding a bike around a lake somewhere, and they went and picked him up. But it's also being used for other things that are really insidious. So China has set up what they call a social credit system. So think of it like a bank. And using this facial recognition technology, every time you do something that's good in the eyes of the Chinese Communist Party, uh, you get credit. And when you do something that's bad in the eyes of the Chinese Communist Party, you lose credit. Now, it could be jaywalking or it could be um, putting a lot of money in the, in the collection plate of a, of, a, uh, of a church. It could be entering a house that is suspected of being a, a, an unofficial church or where prayers are being held. You know. And then what happens is if you then go to the, to the government and you want permission to travel overseas to study, because you have to get permission for everything... They look at what credit you've got in the bank, social credit that is, and they make their decision. If you are a loyal, uh, you've got a loyal, you know, Communist Party submissive person, then you will have lots of good credit and they'll say yes and all the doors will open to you, to the best hospitals, the best schools, travel, everything. But if you're credit poor, 
because uh, you are not towing the Communist Party line because you were heard saying something that was negative or doing something that was not right, entering you know, a facility you were not meant to enter, for example, associating with people you were not meant to associate with, then you will be credit poor and the government will say no, sorry, and all the doors will close. And this takes persecution to a whole new level. You know, I, it's it's absolutely insidious. This is, to me, it's the closest to Big Brother, I think, that anyone's ever got. You know, closest to that dystopian George Orwell uh, story that, that anyone has ever got. It, and it is will be suffocating. And they have rolled these cameras out all across the country during last year. And now things like the religious affairs regulations will give uh, credence to... Everything, all the, uh, all the persecution. In fact, in March of this year, uh, President uh, Xi Jinping thought will be enshrined in the Constitution, meaning that pretty well anything Xi Jinping says will be now legitimised and made, made illegal. And when you put these things together, it is truly a frightening scenario. Now, Elizabeth, let's bring this close to home because we're talking about the diminishing religious freedoms here in Australia. And we're looking at China and saying this is a a clear indication of a rise of what was already authoritarian but is likely to appear more to be totalitarian uh, in its uh, formation. What is the connection that we can say is likely to happen in Australia with the loss of religious freedoms and why we ought to be defending these freedoms now before they are lost completely? Well, we are drifting in Australia and even in Europe as well into a totalitarian style of government. A democracy doesn't seem to be working. People are losing faith in their leaders and think, and uh, there's a lot of... Um, uh, there's, I would say there's actually a lot of cultural collapse happening because of our abandonment of Christianity, which means that we're taking a sledgehammer to the foundations of our society. So there's a lot of unrest and uncertainty, and that makes uh, authoritarian rule much more attractive to people. So we're heading in that direction. Now, you mentioned Nigeria. The, the thing that's very similar about, say, China and Nigeria or China and Islam, is that their communism and Islam are both totalitarian systems. They tell you what you can say, they tell you what you can do, they tell you what you can believe. And that's what we're heading towards. So in China, you must praise the Communist Party. You must never criticise the Communist Party. It's all about what you say and do and think in relation to the Communist Party. Under Islam, you must believe Islam. You must never criticise Islam. Um, you must follow Islam. So it's all about, it's a totalitarianism about around Islam. In the West, it seems to be cultural Marxism that, that is at the core. Uh, so moral and... and um, religious relativism and cultural relativism so you may particularly around the gay rights issues so lgbtqi issues uh, morality is really at the core of it uh, in the west and the state is looking to tell us what we can say uh, what we can do what we can think and if you speak against 
Uh, well, in, in the West, it's usually about against, you know, like LGBTI or transgenderism or abortion or something. Then you are you are crossing the line. You're becoming an intolerant bigot. You are hurting people's feelings, and none of this is allowed. So we're heading towards the same sort of totalitarian model, but and we're not protecting the Communist Party. We're not protecting Islam, but we're protect, protecting another sort of ideology. Uh, an ideology that promotes moral and cultural relativism. And this, you know, this will threaten the church because the church believes in absolute truth and the morality of God. Okay, so there is a very real connection between the LGBTQI agenda and totalitarianism. And mm-hmm. as listeners have been listening to that, uh, they'll draw their connections there. And let's talk about what's been happening in China because China has taken this to a new level. Uh, and if we talk about religions in general, there's been a huge takeover of a religious institution in China, uh, and it's been run by the Buddhists. What's happened with the uh, the Buddhist Institute in China? Now, this I think this is really interesting because to me, this is like this is like a. Um, uh, I don't know how to describe it. It's like a prophetic thing. You know, this is what's going to happen to the church. If you want to know where the church, is, what the church is looking at in the future, look at what's happening in La in Larungar. I'll spell that for people because they might not be familiar with Larungar. It's two words: L A R U N G, Larungar, G A R, and Larungar is a valley in Tibet. So in the Tibetan autonomous region, it's a valley. And in the centre of this valley is this Buddhist institute, the Larungar Institute. Uh, The temple and the monastery and the theological institute are in the centre of the valley. And then the hills rise up around it. And up on each of the hills that, uh, that surround it are log cabins. So, and the people who come to be at the Larongar Institute live in these log cabins. And there's a population of about 10,000 people. Now, at, in late 2016, the government decided, just decided, that it was too big and that there shouldn't be more than 5,000 people at Larongar at any time. So they went in with the bulldozers and they made half the people at Larongar homeless. 5,000 Buddhist uh, uh, students and their families rendered homeless as their log cabins were bulldozed. And what they've done now is that they've actually taken over the administration of Longar, and this is the biggest Buddhist institute in the whole world. So I would really expect other Buddhist countries and other Buddhist uh, groups to be uh, making a fuss about this. I'm not hearing very much. Human Rights Watch has written a report on it. Half the administrators at the Institute will now be Communist Party appointed cadres. They will control every department uh, and every corner of the Institute. They will have full control over who is admitted and accepted as a student. So the students will have to sit tests on whether they uphold the Communist Party line and the socialist system, blah, blah, blah. They will also, um, they will also control uh, 40% of the teaching subjects. So 40% of the subjects will now be political. 
This is a complete takeover of the largest Buddhist institute in the world, uh, bulldozing half its residences and taking over the entire uh, administration. Now, if Christians want to know what is ahead for the church, they need to have a look at what's just been happening at Larangar. And I would think that if the Chinese government can get away with, with this, it can get away with pretty well anything. This is really, really big. And um, I, I'm very concerned about the situation in China. All right. We're talking about how governments control religion, and it's getting easier for governments to do that, the technological advances. And we're seeing what's happened in China and what is continuing to happen and is deepening as of yesterday when their new uh, their new uh, regulations came into force in China and much more of that ahead. Uh, we'll continue our conversation uh, with Elizabeth Kendall. L- Elizabeth, let's take another call. Let's hear from Darren in Underwood in Queensland. Hello, Darren. Welcome along. Yeah, hi, Neil. Hi, Elizabeth. Hello. Um, yes, it's... Uh no surprise what you've said this morning. It might be to some people, but I guess they will draw, uh, as Neil said, yeah, a lot of us will draw some uh, conclusions from what you've shared with us this morning. Um, uh, I've heard some people say that uh, Islam and communism are twin brothers mm-hmm. because they are, have the uh, same desires to, ta- over, to take over the world, and I believe that they use one another to do that. Mm. Um and when we hear things such as um, sustainability and uh, political correctness and all of these different terms, they're all communist terms. And yes. uh, you alluded to uh, George Orwell and Big Brother earlier. And George Orwell, uh, for those of us who don't know, we read his books in high school. He was the founder of the Fabian Society. Hence, his uh, books were socialist uh, content, which we were forced to read at school. And he, uh, the, Fabian, the Fabians, I believe, have overthrown the are overthrown the West and Australia. Um, they've done it without firing a single shot, mm-hmm. and they are bringing in their communist agenda, which different to Marxism. Darren, you're making some good points here, and uh, what I think you're moving into is this idea of politics. Uh, If we appreciate uh, the Fabian Society ideal of permeation, the idea of permeated ideology into a culture and overtaking uh, all the different institutions, but uh, your thoughts for the sorts of things uh, Darren was sharing, Elizabeth? Yeah, well, he's exactly right. That's exactly what's happened. We've got uh, the neo-Marxists um, and the gay right lobby that came out of the uh, the Stonewall movement in the US, they did have done exactly this. They have set themselves on what they called a long march through the institutions. So they decided that revolution was not the way to go. Um, violent revolution just failed and uh, discredited itself. The way to go was to insert yourself into the institutions and and subvert it from within and win it from within so and their targets really have been entertainment uh education politics and the church being the last great frontier for these uh neo-marxist groups and this is the this is the line that we're coming up against as i said before we're not it's not about 
the Communist Party is not about Islam. It's about political correctness. It's about um, this neo-Marxist ideology, which which insists on moral and cultural relativism. And you know, it's quite possible if the government, if the Australian government doesn't stand for religious freedom now in 2018, if we fail, if the government lets us down here. It will be a very slippery slope, and we could find ourselves in a position where churches that don't tow the ideological line uh, uh, lose their tax-free status and so cannot you know, function as charities anymore, or that their pastors are sacked or sued or fined, um, and, and same with Christian schools. So it's really, really important that the government upholds religious freedom now because otherwise we're going to find that political correctness will rule the day. In case I forget, we are going to have a podcast of this conversation on our 2020 page later today and you might like to share this as widely as you can, uh, just warning people what is coming with a government control on religious freedom. We're back with more in just a few moments to tie some loose ends together. Elizabeth Kendall is our guest. Helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Uh, Look, we'll have to put a line under the callers. Time is running out. Elizabeth Kendall has been our guest. It's been a very important conversation, how governments control religious freedom. Elizabeth Kendall, only just a minute or two remaining. Uh, It's important for people to make a submission uh, for the Radic Freedom Review that's going on right now. Uh, the quality of those submissions important, but the quantity also. And for people making even a one-page submission, uh, registering their thoughts about religious freedom, uh, you're, you're encouraging people to make submissions, aren't you? Oh, absolutely. And you're right with what you say about, um, but, but about the quantity being the most important thing. There are a number of Groups that are involved in the legal aspect of religious freedom, Freedom for Faith uh, uh, review by Patrick Parkinson is one that I have read just recently, and it is just so outstanding. Like you wonder, you don't have to write a great review because these because these submissions have already been written. The really great, powerful legal submissions have been written already by people like uh, Patrick Parkinson and other great. Uh, a Christian legal minds have really laid it out. But what we need to do is we need to write just one page will do it to say that we believe that, that this is really important and we really, really want the government to uphold religious freedom. We can't complain about our religious freedom slipping away if we never act to hold on to it in the first place. Uh, you don't act, you can't complain. So, And I really want to uh, go back to what Jonathan said before about divisions in the church. We need to stand together. He was absolutely right. And one way we can do this is by all involving ourselves in this process and not just leaving it to someone else. Write a submission, one page, a few dot points, and send it in to the, to the Ruddock Review, appealing that the government be courageous today. And so I'll point people to those websites of regular people that you might hear on 2020, uh, trusted organisations like the Australian Christian Lobby or Family Voice Australia or Freedom for Faith. Uh, when you go to their websites, simply Google them. Uh, you'll find links there. On some of those sites, you'll also find 
find some form letters, uh, things that you can write. You might be thinking, I don't know what I'm going to write. Well, they'll have some helpful hints there. But the uh, obvious thing is the, the link that will take you to how you make a submission for the Ruddock Freedom Review. Elizabeth Kendall, always so good getting your insights. There's so much more we could talk about and we'll have to wait till another day to get some more uh, update and insight from you. But let me point people to a couple of books that you've written. Turn Back the Battle, Isaiah Speaks to Christians Today, and After Saturday Comes Sunday, Understanding the Christian Crisis in the Middle East, two important books about understanding persecution around the world. And Elizabeth Kendall, you speak so eloquently, so clearly, and uh, I'm always so encouraged having had a conversation with you, and I thank you so much for taking time to be with us again today on 2020. And thank you, Neil. I greatly appreciate the opportunity. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.